you noticed? Just these last couple weeks, we've been coming back together. It's, I think it's wonderful. Well, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I just love Mark's gospel. The way he tells Jesus' story just, just suits me. It's short and to the point, and frankly, it's kind of blunt. Uh, things happen fast in Mark's telling, and that seems fitting because Jesus' life was brief and urgent. Jesus appears at the River Jordan one day to be baptized by John, and then he's immediately pushed into the wilderness. And when he comes back, he gathers up this ragtag band of Jewish working-class people and starts wandering around Palestine, feeding people, healing them, and teaching them about a new way of life, all along the way proclaiming the kingdom of God. There's this rush to Jerusalem, to the crucifixion, and to the resurrection. Man, it all happens really quickly. And as I read Mark's gospel, Jesus definitely wasn't interested in starting a church. Not a church with walls, anyway. He doesn't offer any esoteric theories about God or humanity or, or grand theories about anything, really. Jesus, in Mark's telling, he's portrayed as this wild prophet a revolutionary hero who roams the Palestinian countryside, healing people, feeding people, encouraging people to heal and feed one another. And simply by living a vivid, God-filled life, he showed his followers the way to the kingdom of God. Now, for Mark's Jesus, the kingdom, unlike other kingdoms, this kingdom has no boundaries, and it's, only, it's not only here on earth in these fleshy bodies that we get to live in the kingdom, though Jesus tells us that we can and, in fact, we must because the kingdom is here and now. And according to Jesus, the kingdom of God is also yet to come. He promises us even bigger, fuller, and richer lives than we can even imagine now. And that's what Mark Jesus's, Mark's Jesus promises us. If we're brave enough to follow his lead, the kingdom of God, heaven on earth, more and better yet to come. That's a powerful promise. Kind of an audacious promise. But, it's not a rosy promise. Or rather, it's not the promise of a rose that comes without thorns. And today's brief passage doesn't really flinch or look away from what we may have to go through to get from today's kingdom to a bigger and fuller realization of God and God's love for us and our love for one another. Now, Jimmy mentioned last week that if we were a different sort of church, we might have a big screen that came down from, I don't know, heaven? Probably more likely from, from those rafters up there. And on that screen, we could project 
audio video things. Well, we're not that church, but imagine that we were, if we were. I would show you some images that I found on the internet of the temple at Jerusalem in Jesus's day. This was called the second temple. Temple had been destroyed a while back by invaders, and then this second temple was built, and it was a magnificent structure. I encourage you to look it up yourself. You'll be amazed. Huge stone buildings, grand courtyards. Uh, some people say that it had been that Herod, who built it, um, had gilded it in gold. And on a sunny day, you couldn't even stand to look at it. It was so bright and magnificent. So Jesus comes out of that temple, and one of his friends says to him, Look, teacher, what large stones, what large buildings. And I can imagine Jesus turning, looking at the screen, or rather looking at the temple, and thinking, no, that's not what this God-filled life is all about. In fact, this temple, which is so important to so many of my people, is actually getting in between God and us. He's been in the temple all day that day, arguing with the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all these well-meaning, devout Jews who had their own strong beliefs about God and about how to please God. And they were asking him, you know, they were asking him many of the same questions that we might ask Jesus if he were to show up here among us today. We might ask, what authority do you have? What authority do you have in our lives today? We might ask, how do I balance my life in this social-political mess of a climate that we have today, that I'm living in today? How do I balance that with a life filled with God's love? We might even ask Jesus, what happens after I die? These all seem like really important questions. They are. They're ones that we may want answers for in our own lives. Problem is, Jesus gives really cryptic answers to these questions. He refuses to even say by what authority he speaks. He says, listen, look, decide for yourself. About the social and political issues of the day, they ask him, pay taxes, don't pay taxes. And Jesus says, yeah, you should probably pay your taxes, but more importantly, consider what you're giving back to God. What happens after we die? Jesus says, better not to worry about it. God is the God of the living, not the dead. Draw your own conclusions. 
At least in Mark's gospel, Jesus doesn't offer many simple answers to life's complex questions, but he does point the way by living the way. The one thing that he does give a clear, concise answer to on that day in the temple, just before today's passage, he's asked, which commandment is the first of all? Another way of putting that question is, Jesus, what is really important? How should I live my life? And he answers that question very simply and very concisely. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus told the people in the temple that day that their relationship with God didn't have anything to do with complicated theological questions. It had very little to do with what goes on inside the temple. And it's not about complicated social dynamics. N not that these concerns aren't important. They are but they are not of absolute importance. Jesus told those devout, learned people that there is only one absolute. Well, two actually, but they're so intertwined that I tend to think of them as one. Love God, love your neighbor. Everything else depends on that. And I believe that that holds as true today as it did 2,000 years ago. It's all very simple and not often easy. And that's the backstory to today's reading. And when he walks out of the temple, one of his friends, one of his followers says to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what a large building. And Jesus says, in effect, no. These stones, just like all that arguing in the temple, all these human constructs that we are so hung up on, are going to fail you. Not one stone will be left. The only thing that matters, the only thing that will endure is love. We build houses and we build cities and roads and governments and internets and businesses and all of the things that we build. And then we're building fables and stories and movies and artworks and poems. We build as humans. There are plenty of examples of animals that build nests and webs and hives, but none of the things, but, but one of the things that makes us human is this constant need to create order where there was none and to create complexity from simplicity. Because we have these opposable thumbs, we can grasp tools, and because we can grasp tools, we can build things.
and because we have minds that can plan and see things that don't exist yet, we can build things. And this is marvelous. This is a God-given gift that all of us humans have in common. And yet, what happens when we start to worship the things that we have built? I think that's what Jesus is focusing on, focusing our attention on today. When we worship our institutions and they become so elaborate and so cumbersome that they get between us and God, well, sooner or later they will come crashing down. When our rules and our regulations divide us rather than bring us together, when they become heavy like great stones, they need to be thrown down. When we idolize our own minds, our own cleverness, our own achievements, we run the risk of becoming self-absorbed, of putting our own perceived needs in front of those of others. When we build temples to ourselves, we become rigid. And like some great buildings, we can become closed. When we overmanage our lives, we may appear to be strong, but we run the risk of becoming impenetrable. Jesus didn't have much time for life inside the stone temple in Jerusalem. I think he found that life stifling. The work he did was all accomplished out in the open, out in the real world. Sometimes he went away by himself to pray, to meditate, and sometimes to suffer alone. And then he always came back. Back to this messy, complicated life on earth where people are born, suffer, die, love, get it right, get it wrong. And that's what I love about the story of Jesus the most. He always came back to life. He always came back to live in connection with the people whom he loved. And let's not forget, the people whom he loved included the people who would kill him. Jesus taught his followers how to live a life out in the open. And I think that by following Jesus' lead here, we can learn to live our lives in ways that are organic and inspired, in a way that expresses who we really are. Who are you really? You're God's kids. We weren't built to live our lives in stony temples, all seized up and constricted. Maybe Jesus' message today is really a little more optimistic than it sounds on a surface reading. And I have faith that it is, because even these temples that we build to ourselves, even though they must fall, and that might seem like war or rumors of war, or all kinds of catastrophe, 
trials and tribulations. After all that, what are we left with? Well, in this passage at least, Jesus says that we're left with pain. But what kind of pain? Here's what Jesus says at the end of this passage. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. Now, someday I hope to hear a woman preach a sermon about this passage. I'm not qualified to speak firsthand about the experience of giving birth. Sure, I stood there helpless and watched as my children were born, but I have no idea what labor pains really feel like. But I do know what it feels like to have the temple of my life come crashing down. So do every one of you. It happens to all of us sooner or later. Not one stone left upon another. All thrown down. And then Jesus promises us the birth pangs. And here's how a friend, a mother, described it to me. See, she, she said that going into labor was the most excruciating pain that she had ever experienced and that she felt like her body was being ripped apart from the inside. She said it was a pain that she was sure she could not bear and it lasted longer than she thought she could stand it and then she was handed a miracle. And that's what Jesus is offering us today. The birth pangs, the baby, the kingdom of heaven, here and now, and something better than we have ever imagined yet to come. Not one stone left standing, and up from the rubble emerges the rose, borns and all. The miracle of a God-filled life. Amen.